the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, welcome to the show today. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host, and you are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. I so appreciate you taking time just out of your day to listen to this and just to really learn how to be the best version of yourself. You know, I I tell clients frequently, I remind myself, you're the only you. Nobody can do you the way you can do you. And it's fascinating to believe and to know that every single human is unique. So you don't have to compete with anybody. Who can do you? Nobody can do me as bad as I can, and nobody can do me as good as I can. And so this is why it's so important when you recognize there is this great need that humans have, and that is the need to be seen. And our life story needs to mean something, and people need to know about our story. And this is one of the reasons that social media, we're compelled to just put ourselves out there. There's something about the human condition that needs to be seen. And one of the ways we feel relevant is to be seen, even if we're seen negatively. We see kids that act out negatively just to get attention, right? So I'm wanting to talk about this today because I'm wanting you to not feel shame or embarrassment or that you're ridiculous because you like to be seen. When we think about little girls, right? They dress up. They want to parade around the house. They want to do little twirlies with their dress in front of their dad and all the whoever is there. And I'm not talking about shy people. I'm not talking about that shy people still need to be seen. And people that are not performers still need to be seen. And the idea of being seen is not necessarily public or that I'm on a stage. It's that someone gets me. Someone sees past my fears, my insecurities, maybe my mistakes, my frustrations, my struggles, whatever it is that I currently look like if I don't like the way I look. They see past that and they see me, the real me. Not the one that's doing kind of all these different behaviors maybe to arrive or to be noticed or to compete or is staying at home in their house because they're too, you know, nervous or afraid to come out, we still need to be seen. And so I'm going to tell you a story. And this is a man of a very lost soul. He's a rebellious soul. And this man was notorious in how profane his language was. And this man publicly denounced God, especially when he most needed him. 
on several occasions. This is a man known as the most terrible slave trader ever. This is the story of John Newton. I mean, how industrious is Satan served, right? This is, this is really unbelievable because this is, 19, this is 1778. And so he was born in 1725 in London, and his father was a shipping merchant who was brought up Catholic, and his mother was a devout Anglican. Well, her, his mother intended that Newton become a clergyman, but she died of tuberculosis when he was about six years old. So for the next few years, Newton was raised by his emotionally distant stepmother while his father was at sea and spent some time at boarding school where he was greatly mistreated. So at the age of 11, he joined his father on a ship as an apprentice. His seagoing career really could be marked by headstrong, really, he was very headstrong, very disobedient. And so as a youth, he began this pattern of coming very close to death. Examining his relationship with God, and then he would relapse back into all these bad habits. So as a sailor, he, he totally denounced his faith after being influenced by very immoral people. See, we have to remember, it's important who we spend time with. He wanted to fit in. He wanted to be popular. He wanted to be powerful. He wanted to be influential. And in a series of letters, he wrote, this is what he said. He said, I renounced the hopes and comforts of the gospel at the very time when every other comfort was about to fail me. So his disobedience caused him, um, in, it put him into the Royal Navy. And after enduring all kinds of humiliation for deserting, he managed to get himself traded to a slave ship. And this is where his big-time career of slave trading began. So while aboard the ship, it's called uh, the Greyhound, Newton gained amazing notoriety for being one of the most profane men the captain had ever met. And this is a culture where sa sailors were really commonly used oaths and, and swore and were known for their mouths. So Newton was admonished several times and almost starved to death because he would not stop or learn. So in 1748, the Greyhound was in the North Atlantic, and it was a violent storm that came upon the ship that was so rough it swept overboard a crew member who was standing where Newton had been moments before. So after hours of the crew just in emptying water from the ship and expecting to be capsized, Newton and another mate tied themselves to the ship's pump so that they would not be washed overboard, and they worked for hours and hours. And after proposing, after proposing this to the captain, Newton then turned and said, If this will not do, then Lord have mercy upon us. And he rested for a couple of minutes before returning to the deck to steer for the next 11 hours. And during his time at the wheel, he pondered, he really thought about this divine challenge. And the memory of the uttered phrase in a moment of desperation didn't leave him and came back to him. And he began to ask if he was worthy of God's mercy or if any way he was redeemable as he had just completely not only neglected his faith but directly opposed it, made fun of it, mocked it, and really derided the faith and denounced God as a myth. 
and also trading thousands of African people as slaves. So he came to believe that God had sent him a profound message and had begun to work through him. Now, now he's feeling like he's a calling on his life. So about two weeks later, this battered ship and the starving crew landed in Ireland. And the memory of that uttered phrase in a moment of desperation hadn't left him. And he again began to ask if he was worthy of God's mercy or in any way redeemable, as he had not only neglected his faith, we know that, but directly opposed it and mocked others who showed their faith and derided God. And so this is what I want you to think about. He then, because of this, he came to believe that God had sent him a profound message, and it began to work through him. And he began to understand there was a calling on his life. And he then wrote the famous hymn, Amazing Grace, because what God had done in response to how he had lived. And so Amazing Grace is really John Newton's spiritual autobiography. So think today, what does God have to do to get your attention? How bad does it have to get in order for me to see the depth and the width and the commitment of God's love? God sees you. He sees you. The entire time that John Newton was acting out, atrociously harming these slaves relentlessly, seeing them as property, throwing them away if they weren't doing what they should do. And he was able to say to God, I need mercy. Am I worthy of mercy? And that's where he came up with amazing grace. So think about that, that God was the God who saw him and saw him through all of these events, knowing whatever it was that needed to happen that would bring John Newton back to what he had known was true or bring him to what he needed to know was true. And that no matter what he had done, he is worthy of God's love, that God sees him and saw him. So let's look at a second story. Now, this is a woman named Hagar. And this is the place where we find Hagar in chapter 16 of Genesis. Now, she is mistreated and discarded by Sarai. This is her mistress, and this is the woman that she helps and cares for. She's a slave. Well, Hagar runs away from her mistress. She feels unworthy, unwanted, unseen in her flight. She finds herself alone in the desert near a spring. That's where everything changes. So here's her story. Sarah told Abraham, it's all, it's all your fault that I'm suffering this abuse. I put my maid in bed with you, and the minute she knows she's pregnant, she treats me like I'm nothing. May God decide which of us is right. And Abram says, well, you decide. Your maid is your own business. So are you Sarai? Greedy and determined to have what you want, when you want it, and that, that you'll do whatever it takes to get what you want. You'll go against your very value system. Sarah gave her maid servant to her husband because she was unable to have a baby in, quote-unquote, her timing. You see, the Lord had a plan for a baby that he was going to be giving Sarai, but she didn't want to trust God and didn't want to do it his way. She wanted to do it her way. So Sarai is abusive to Hagar, and Hagar runs away. 
So Hagar runs out into the desert because she's being so abused by her mistress. After she had done everything that this mistress had asked her to do, she had little choice. She was a slave. She wasn't noticed. She was considered property. And so an angel of the Lord found her beside a spring in the desert. And it was that spring on the road to Shur that he said to her, Hagar, maid of Sarai, what are you doing here? And she said, I'm running away from Sarai, my mistress. The angel of God said, go back to your mistress, put up with her. Take it for now, just for now, the abuse. I'm going to give you a big family, children past counting. So this is important to recognize that in her worst place, where she thought she was completely destitute, unloved, unnoticed, unseen, the angel of the Lord came to her. She wasn't even a Jew. She wasn't Hebrew. And he came to her in the desert and said, I'm the God that sees you. And that's why she called him. You are the God who sees me. This is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the next hour as we talk more about this phenomenon in the way that God has created us, this need to be seen. Well, welcome back. You are listening to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt. Thank you so much for joining. And if you're just tuning in right now, please make sure you go to the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. You can listen to the show right off your computer. You can also go to your favorite podcast server. We are most likely on whatever podcast server you have. And if we're not, make sure that you email me. Let me know that you would like us to put the shows on the server that you are most accustomed to. So we are talking about this phenomenon, this profound need that humans have to be seen and why this is so profound and that we have a God who sees us. And that's this famous story about Sarai, Abraham, and her maid servant, Hagar. And so we left this story with Hagar sitting in the desert not wanting her young son to die either. She put him next to a rock because she couldn't bear to look at him. And the angel of the Lord found her beside the spring in the desert. And he said, Hagar, made of Sarai, what are you doing? I mean, obviously he knew what she was doing. But she had to take responsibility for what she was doing. She was now seen, just as we talked about John Newton, was seen by God. And that's when he said, I don't even know. Can you have mercy on me? Am I worthy enough for forgiveness? Because this is what God wants us to do. He's, he wants to know how we see ourselves or what we see ourselves doing. And it isn't to shame us. It's to orient us so that he can come in and speak truth to us. So this is exactly what happened. The angel of God found her beside a spring in the desert. She said, what are you doing? What are you doing here? And she said, I'm running away from Sarai, my mistress. And the angel of God said, go back to your mistress. Put up with her. Just kind of take it for a while now. Because I'm going to give you a big family. Children past counting. And from this pregnancy, you'll get a son named Ishmael. For God heard you 
and answered you. So she answered God by name. Instead of seeing this as just an angel, she recognized this is God. And she prayed to him saying, you are the God who sees me. And she says, yes, he saw me. And then I saw him. So many times we have to recognize that God sees us all the time. And he also sees who we truly are and who he knows we can be and who he knows us the, the best version of who we are to be. God sees us, but a lot of times we don't see him. So this is where Hagar said, he saw me. And then I saw him. So many times we want to look away or we want to hide from God our circumstances. We don't want to be seen in the circumstance we're in or seen in the behavior that we're doing or seen with the problem that we're having. We want to get it all tidied up first and then present ourselves to God. And what happened was when she said, he saw me and then I saw him. See, God likes to be seen too. He wants to be seen for who he is. He doesn't like being misunderstood, mischaracterized, judged, criticized, slandered. We're made in his image. He wants us to see him, and he wants you to know that he sees you. He sees us. So that's how the Desert Spring got the name God Alive Sees Me Spring. And the spring's still there. It's between Kadesh and Bered. So... Hagar gave Abram this son, and Abram named him Ishmael. And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar gave him this son. So the angel of the Lord appears to her and asks where she comes from and where she is going. How amazing is that? In her state of feeling less than and not enough, the Lord sees fit to send an angel to speak with her. She's finally seen. And she, too, did it her way. And did not trust God, just like John Newton did, just like you and I do. And so out of her pain, even then she took care of herself and did not trust the Father and heaven to care for her. And so God appeared as an angel. And he said, go back to your mistress and submit to her. And I will increase your descendants so much they will be too numerous to count. So not only is she seen by God, the creator of all things, the almighty God of the universe, but her descendants will be blessed by him. I mean, can you imagine Hagar's wonderment at the declaration of this angel? Why would God look on me, one who is despised and unwanted by her mistress? So the same unlivable situation that drove her out into the desert is the one the angel is telling her to go back to willingly. But see, she now has the strength to endure the inevitable hardship because she has been seen and valued by the Lord, the one who sees. This is part of what happens every day in my office. People are seen. And they're seen and they're loved and they're given hope and mercy and grace. And they go, you really get me. You really see me. You really understand me. You really have hope in me. You have faith in me. And, and this is part of the biggest healing process that can ever happen for a human is to truly be seen for who they are, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, that they are seen and then are better able to let the circumstances that they're in 
not cause them to be worse, but cause them to be better, cause them to be more who God has called them to be, which is exactly what happened to Hagar. See, when God sees us, it gives us the strength to endure the hard things. When I see your plight, when I see your struggle, even though this person might leave my office, they don't feel alone anymore. And they feel valued. And it is very affirming. It's very validating for somebody to say, I see you. I see your pain. I see the mistake you made and how, how upset you are. I see how hard you're trying. I see how unfair this is. But in spite of your behavior, I see the real you. And you are beautifully and wonderfully made. So this is what he says to us in Hebrews 13, chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 5. He says, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And I love this idea of God sending an angel, and actually it turned out to be God. And so many times in our lives, we get sent an angel. We get sent something wonderful that comes our way. We get sent a, a, someone that's like a, a support, a help, whatever we think, a savior that, that, that helped us out of a terrible place. And the best way that we can honor God is to recognize that was actually God. It wasn't that person. It wasn't that circumstance. It was God. So I've had bad times in my life when I've felt very lost and I was floundering and just plodding along. I mean, I couldn't find my way. And I didn't know where I was going and nothing seemed to fit. And I knew that God knew where I was, but I didn't know where I was. And I didn't know where God was. And I kept asking God to find me. I mean, I intellectually knew I wasn't lost by him, but I needed to be found. I needed that feeling. I needed to feel like God saw my plight and was going to help me. That he's not mad at me or angry with me or disgusted by me. So this is imperative that we learn to see the God who sees us. So join me in the next segment as we continue to talk about this profound need to be seen. Well, welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for being here today and joining me with just different messages every week. And thank you always for your presence on, on uh, social media. I love to hear what works, what you think is inspiring, what is helpful. And also thank you for so much of your support. I had so many prayers when I had all that horrible dental surgery that I had to have. And I really appreciated all your prayers and support. So let's get back to this topic about this phenomenon that humans have this need to be seen. And we looked at the story of Hagar. She was Sarai's maidservant and she was sent out into the desert by Hagar because uh, by Sarai because Sarah was so mad that she was with her her husband even though she sent her to Abraham Abram and that now Hagar is going to be pregnant and going to be having a child and Sarai said just go get out of here and sent her out into the desert to die and there an angel of the Lord came to her and she said you are the God who sees me so this profound 
phenomenon that humans need to be seen is many times what we refer to, if they're not seen, as failure to thrive. And I want to give you two experiments that have been done that have really completely justified and prove, have proven this phenomenon that we find in Genesis. And so we have in the Second World War, um, there were many, many Russian, I mean German infants with no parents. They were orphaned infants, thousands of orphaned infants. You can find it online. And what they did, they warehoused them in these big, huge warehouses, just bed after bed after bed after bed, bed of these infants. And they were the, the warehouses, maybe eight to ten, I think, of these warehouses. And what they did was they made sure that they were perfectly, you know, conditioned, air conditioned or heated, whatever was the perfect temperature for these infants. They made sure that their sheets, their blankets were completely laundered, changed all the time, beautiful, comfortable beds. They made sure that they had the best food possible and that they were fed regularly. They were changed regularly. They were taken such good care of. But they told the nurses, you are not to look at the baby. You're not to talk to the baby. You're not to comfort the baby. You just take care of the needs. And all these babies died. And this is where we get failure to thrive. That's how we figured that out. So we have that story. We also have a wonderful video that you might want to watch. It's called The Still Face Experiment. And this was done by a psychologist named Dr. Tronick. And he was really studying infants, babies, and how they respond. And, and he was really furthering this idea about failure to thrive and the need to be seen and how powerful this need is. So this experiment, he shows a mother sitting across from her little baby, and they're doing what moms and babies do. He, the baby would point to something, and the mom would point back and look, and they'd look into each other's eyes, and they'd play handsy with each other, and they'd do all these different things that were communicating that they were connected, that this baby was being so seen and valued by this mother. And then he asked the mother to turn her face away, and when she turns back, to have no expression on her face whatsoever. And she does that. And I'm telling you, thank, thankfully it's only two minutes because it's quite painful to watch. This baby immediately, eyes get big, like, what's up? What's going on? What's wrong? Puts her hands up. Then she screeches, loses control of her body, arches her back, turns her face away from the mother, and then just starts bawling. And the mother immediately says, oh, oh, it's okay, honey, it's okay, reconnects with the baby. The baby quickly gets herself righted. And you can see in this very short period of time the impact it had on this little baby of not being seen and how alone, unloved, not valued, frightened, vulnerable this little baby felt when her mother would not make contact with her facially, emotionally, Verbally, nothing. Physically. And so this is where we get that phenomenon of rip and repair. That we, you know, all of us have parents that aren't perfect. And there's a ripping. But when the parent comes back quickly and repairs, we become stronger. So what happened with Hagar is that there was a rip. Sarai sent her out into the desert and there was a repair from God. 
So we want to let God do the repairing. If humans fail us, we can be repaired by God. He is the God who sees us. And he's also the God that wants to be seen. He loves it when you see him. When you say, that was God. I know that was God. God did this great thing. Oh my gosh, he showed up in my life again. That had to be Jesus, right? He loves to be seen as well. And you remember, this is when Jesus died on the cross, is when his father turned his face from his son. This is Cynthia High with Conversations with Cynthia. Join me in the last segment as we finish up this need to be seen. Well, welcome back to Conversations with Cynthia. I'm Cynthia Hyatt, your host. Thank you so much for joining me today. And if you are just tuning in, this is our last segment of the show. So you can listen to the show in its entirety on any of the uh, major podcast servers. I'm, uh, and if I'm not on the one that you like, just email me, let me know. And we'll see if we can get the shows on the podcast server that is most comfortable for you. Thank you so much for all your input in social media. And definitely check out the website at CynthiaHyatt.com. If you're wanting a speaker for your organization, your church, your group, whatever that is, I love to do that for people. And I'm able to tailor make a, a lesson, a teaching, an inspirational, motivational speech, whatever it is that would fit best your organization or your group. So you can always uh, get a hold of me at CynthiaHyatt at gmail.com. And that is C-I-N. T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T at gmail.com. So we are talking about this phenomenon of the need to be seen and that humans actually perish if they're not seen. And we see people do crazy things just to be seen, right? And so even if it's negative, it feels better to be seen negatively than to not be seen at all. There's something about being seen by another human that makes you feel real, that makes you feel like you're substantive. Because when you're not seen, we have a hard time really validating ourselves and validating our existence. And this is why people, we sometimes get obsessed with mirrors. If I can just look at myself in the mirror, I go, okay, there I am. I know that's me. I know I'm here, even if I hate what I'm seeing. So we talked so much in the first three segments about this phenomenon and the story of Hagar. And I ended the first um, half with telling you that there really was a time in my life where I needed that feeling. I needed to feel like God saw my plight and that he would help me and that he wasn't mad at me or angry with me. And I would pray. I would say, God, please find me. I don't feel found by you. I need to feel seen by you. Do you see me? Do you see my circumstances? I'm afraid for you to see what I've done. But at the same time, I would say, have you turned away from me? I mean, have you ever felt that way? Well, this is how Hagar felt. This is how every human has felt or feels at one time or another. Because see, once God saw Hagar, she could handle anything. She was seen. She mattered. She was noticed. She needed to feel found. As soon as God really intervened in my life, even though some things had to change, it was the fact that he saw my circumstances. 
He had compassion on my plight. He knew that some of it had n- was no fault of my own. Some of it was bad choices on my, uh, on my part. But when I felt seen by God, and he knew me and still looked on me, he didn't look away from me. So can you relate to these people? You know, the man that's sitting terribly, profanely, he's doing disgusting things, the slave trader, John Newton. He's denouncing God. How about Sarai? She desperately wants a family, a baby, to feel important and respected. And Hagar is so mistreated, so lonely, so abandoned, nothing ever good seemed to happen to her. But in spite of their mistakes of their sin, of running away from God, from their calling, God sees them, and he sees their pain, and he sees their hardship. So think about Sarai, who feels completely unseen for being a woman, because in those days, that was the main deal, is how many children you had. So she can't get pregnant. She feels seen for the wrong reason. She's seen as a barren woman. We have Abram, the husband. Oh my gosh, all he wants to do is make everybody happy. So he's being seen as the husband, as the leader of this entire tribe that can't get his wife pregnant either. So wouldn't that be just so fortunate for Abram that he takes the handmaiden, the servant, and he can impregnate her? which goes to show that Sarah really is the problem, right? And so we have, we, when you think of all these characters, then you have Hagar. She's just this bought slave that takes care of Sarai. And now she has to sleep with a man that's 85 years old that she doesn't really even know. Then she gets pregnant, and then she's in trouble because she did the very thing they told her to do. So we see all these stories. We see both these women and, and, and these gentlemen, and they received the grace of God, the mercy of God. And in spite of their behavior, they were both used by God to do great things. The only time we really see how profound it is that God turned away was when Jesus was hanging on the cross and God turned away. And this is when Jesus died. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he was alone. He was not seen by his father. This is why this is so powerful. This isn't about, I need to be famous. This isn't about, you know, I need to be looked at all the time and idolized. This is a human condition of, I need someone to see me. Even if it's bad, even if I'm showing things that I'm not proud of, if they see me, I matter, I exist, I'm seen, I'm valued. And so God says to me, and he says this to you, he says, trust me, I am the God who sees you. You may not see what I am doing, but I am the God who sees you. I am the way. And I know my way for you. I am the God who sees you. I'm the God who knows you. I don't lose anything of value. And you are of immense value to me. I never walk away from what I have made. I am the great I am. I am the God who sees you. 
I am not as distant as it may feel, nor am I as uninvolved as it may seem. There are things I'm doing in your life that are beyond your comprehension. They're too vast for me to explain to you. They must just take their course, be experienced and allowed to have the time needed to complete what I'm doing. Like bread dough that's put aside to rise, to allow the yeast to do its work of expansion, you must wait on my work to complete in you. I am in the waiting on ingredients, making sure of their necessary order, knowing what the end result needs to be and the time it will take. I won't leave you in the middle of the process. <clears throat> Excuse me. I will see it through to its full fruition. I am the God who sees you. I am the God of formation. I know my process within you. You can trust the one who died for you. You call to me and I'll listen. You call out to me and I hear. I'm near, more near than you can conceive. You're learning to discern my presence in different ways and in different stages and places. So this is what he says. He says, trust in me, the one who sees you. See, knowing that God sees us and understands us, holding our future in the palm of his hand, we are now called to see and understand others. Are we looking on others with condemnation and disdain or in compassion and kindness and love? This doesn't mean that bad things we, we pretend are good things. But we need to see people for who they are, whatever moment they're in, and recognize that we can also see through that moment to the other side, just as God does with us. That I need to be able to look on people's mistakes, to look on people's inappropriateness. Maybe they're mean and nasty and lying and stealing and whatever it is that they're doing, okay? Prideful, arrogant, disloyal. I need to be able to see past that, to see who they really are. And it's tough to do. It's a risk. It's a big risk. So we need to be the eyes of Jesus, looking out onto the world in search of the hurt, the forgotten, the lonely, the unseen. This also means you. See, we have a tendency to be able to see others, but we can't see ourselves, or we don't want to see ourselves. God wants you to see you. He's very proud of what he has made. Even at our worst, he doesn't walk away from his creation. And so in the words of Teresa of Avila, she's one of my, uh, she's a great uh, nun in the, I think the 17th century, I believe. And this is what she says. I love this poem that she wrote. She says, Christ has no body now on earth but yours. No hands but yours, no feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which the compassion of Christ must look out on the world. See, we are to understand that we are forever seen by God and never to be forsaken. And we want to be able to say, I have now seen the one who sees me. See, Jeremiah 29, 11, I love this. It says that God sees our hardship. The God that sees the wretchedness of our sin, he does not turn away. He has a plan. 
And this is where it goes on. That's the verse before, that famous verse of, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you for hope and for a future. So this is one of my life scriptures. And I remind myself of this, that God sees me enough to make a plan for me. And he says, and I know the plan I have for you. And it's not to harm you. It's for hope and it's for our future. See, we sometimes have a hard time believing this promise when our lives, you know, aren't working out the way we would like. And I have been there and probably it will happen again because that's just living. And so I want to encourage you to trust in the one who is saying it to you because he knows your life course. I, I, not, I might not understand or like God's timing, but I can always trust in the one who died for me. So we have Romans 8.31. It says, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is not for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Do you believe God is for you? I know God is for us, for me and for you. This doesn't mean he's always for everything that we're doing, right? But we are his children. He sees us. He created us. He's in us. So let's really understand that he is the God who sees you. He's the God that forgives you. He's the God who, who is loving you, who is on your side, even in the midst of your sins. He is the God that has a plan for you. He is the God that does not look away from you. So think about your story, your life. Think about how important it is for you to see you. This is the only way we can take responsibility for our own life. If we really see ourselves. And we surround ourselves with people that do see us as well. And not only the good or only the bad. And we also let God show us and reveal more of us to ourselves. So that we can be more and more what he originally created us to be. Not something of our own creation or what the world wants us to be. But the magnificent creation that God did and made in you. So this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. Have a wonderful week. Blessings to you and be good to you. I'll talk to you next week. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.